We're starting a new series today called Worship the King. And as we turn our hearts toward the Christmas season, um, my prayer is that we will engage um, God in, in an act of worship. And so that's what we're going to talk about. As I was preparing for this series, I was reminded of uh, the years that we spent in recovery after Hurricane Katrina. For those of you who are new to Kingwood, uh, my family and I, my wife and I and our kids, we uh, served at a church just two miles from the Gulf of Mexico, and Hurricane Katrina hit our town directly. Uh, and it just blew everything apart, as you might imagine. Um, you know, roads weren't where roads used to be. Um, the electricity was gone. The water was polluted. I mean, it was just a, it was just a war zone. And I remember the first Sunday, for three Sundays we couldn't meet because the roads were blocked and everything was disheveled. Uh, but our sanctuary had taken too much damage. We couldn't meet in it anymore. Mold had begun to grow in it, and part of the roof had been torn off. So we met in it. We had like a half gym, and I'll never forget our first service uh, was in that half gym. And uh, we hadn't met for three weeks. And only about half our congregation made it to that service. Because there wasn't a way to get, there were no, um, cell phones weren't up and running. There wasn't really a way to get information out, best we could word of mouth. Hey, we're going to have church again. <laughs> and you just couldn't get the word out. And uh, so when everybody gathered, you know, we were trying to figure out what happened to everybody. You know, did they evacuate and never come back? Did they lose their job? Did, we, did anybody lose their life? You know, whose homes destroyed? Our school had been, I mean, things, things had changed so massively um, that it, it's hard to wrap your brain around. But when we met in that gym, it was in September, and so it was hot. And that part of the country is just enormously hot, kind of like it was this past September here. And uh, we had exhaust fans in the corner of the gym running off generators outside because <laughs> there still was no power. And the, we had a cross breeze going in the gym. And when we met in that gym for the first time and kind of set the chairs out and did the best we could to have a church service, um, at one point, at the end of the service, we stood and we sang. And the song we sang is, It Is Well With My Soul. And to the day I die, I'll never forget standing in that gym on the concrete floor with exhaust fans blowing in our face, singing with those group of people, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, it, there, there was a moment, you know, how do you, when everything changes, how do you respond? And so, there is an event that's happened in world history that's much bigger than Hurricane Katrina. And it's much more wonderful. It's when God sent His Son, Jesus, to the world. And, and how, do, how do we respond to that? What's the, what's the right way to respond to this incredible Jesus being sent to the earth? It changed everything. And, and I hope my encouragement to you this Christmas season is that you'll give some time to think, what does it mean? What does it mean that God sent His Son, Jesus, to earth? What, what does that matter, and what does it mean, and why did He do it? And I, and, and I, hope, that you'll, I hope that you'll think through that. I, I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 this morning, to show you how the people that lived at the time that Jesus came to earth, how they responded. Look at Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east 
came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now that's a, that's a, that's a fascinating statement. We've come to worship him, which is the only appropriate response to an event like this. I find it interesting that the wise men didn't leave their country and pack their camels and you know, prepare everything and, and, and travel all that distance to come and get something from Jesus. They did all of that to give something to him. They did all of that to offer something to him. See, that's the very opposite of what cultural Christianity teaches, kind of that God's here for us. If we just do the right thing and plug in the right formula and pray the right prayer, if we live moral enough lives, you know, that we'll get God to do whatever it is we want him to do. And too often we judge how good our relationship is with God based on how good our lives are going. Say, so boy... Boy, look how close to God that person is. Well, look how good their life is. Cultural Christianity teaches us that God's kind of like a genie in a bottle. We just rub the bottle and he pops out and answers our wish, but the rest of the time he stays in the bottle out of the way. When we, when we think about God this way, we reduce God to kind of a cosmic soda machine. You put in the coin, you push the prayer button, you do your devotions, you, you make a post on Instagram. Of course, you wouldn't want anybody to miss the fact that you did your devotions, so you want to make sure there's a good picture of it. You don't do anything bad in public like road rage or you know on Black Friday, you don't push anybody or stuff like that. You do something nice for someone around you, go on a missions trip, you invite your friends to Scrooge, and God's going to answer all your prayers because he exists to make your life better. But in reality, that's not why God exists. He doesn't exist for us. The Bible teaches that we exist for Him. We've been made for His glory. We've been made for His honor, to make Him known and to bring honor to Him. And the only appropriate response to Jesus coming to earth is that we might worship. So during this season, I, I, don't want, I want to challenge you not to think about worship as something that you do, but think about worship as something that you are. Worship isn't an event you go to, it's a life you live. So I'm just asking God if he would help us in the middle of all of this other stuff that we go through in this season, that he put a deep desire inside of us to know him personally and to worship him passionately. Kind of like we did a few minutes ago, man. So many of you are just worshiping. You could feel that. So in this series, I want to give you four postures of worship. We're going to talk about how the wise men brought their gifts to God as an act of worship to Jesus. We're going to talk about how pouring our heart out is an act of worship. We're going to talk about how bowing our knee is an act of worship. But today I want to start with um, this simple uh, and, and maybe common to many of you posture of worship that we just call lifting up our hands. Now, if you didn't grow up around church, the first time you walked into a church and somebody was doing this, you probably thought, you know, like, what, 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 what happened? What does that mean? It looks a little bit different. If you've been around the church for a long time, you may have forgotten how weird it looks to people who don't go to church that you raise your hand when we sing, right? It just, it just, it just looks a little awkward. 
It, it, it's kind of like watching somebody make out in public. You know, you go, I know they're feeling it, but something, <laughs> something's a little awkward here for me. So I, I want to explain why the Bible teaches us to lift our hands up to God and worship, and what does it do? If, if you just think about how lifting your hands looks to people who don't go to church, it looks sort of funny because there's, think about it, there's all kind of different ways to raise your hand and everybody sort of raises their hands differently. So I want to give you some of those postures. You know, there's, um, there's uh, raising your hands kind of like carrying a small TV worship. You know what I'm saying? Then there's the big screen. Right? You seen that? We all got big screens now. Th then there's the, this is how big my fish was. Come on, don't act so religious. This Jesus is number one. You seen that one? High five, Jesus. Yes. You seen that one? Pageant girl worship. Or washing the window. Yes, Jesus. Figure eight. Single girl worship. There's no ring on it. There's no ring. I'm worshiping and I got no ring. Everybody look. Right? There's block the shot worship. You seen that one? Look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of how anybody worships. Because in the end of the day, we're all trying to worship an all-powerful, all-loving God that we can't see. And there's not really a rule book written on that. So we're all just trying to do the best we can, right? And that's okay. So I'm not making fun. We all struggle a little bit on how to do that. But one of the ways the Bible teaches us to worship God is to lift our hands. Now, why is it that something that you do with your hands is a reflection of what's happening in your heart? Psalm 63, 1 through 4, I want to read this psalm to you this morning. And I want you to remember as we're reading it that when David wrote it, he was in the wilderness and he was in a bad place. He was not in a good place. He was in a very bad place. He was at a very low point in his life. And knowing that brings different meaning to this psalm. Verse 1, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and a parched land where there is no water. I wonder how many of you might feel that way this morning. You feel like you're in a desolate or a dry place spiritually. Maybe you feel alone or rejected or afraid. I, I, maybe you're thinking this morning, I didn't think life was going to turn out like this. Maybe you're thinking, you know, during the holidays, everybody around me is happy, but I'm not happy. I look on TV and they're happy. I look on Facebook and they're happy. I look at the mall and they're happy. I look at my neighbors around me, they're happy, but I'm miserable. You know, the holidays are, are um, it's interesting, the holidays are always in a, a powerful magnifier. They make good things better and they make hard times harder. The holidays, and, and maybe that's how you feel today. But David is crying out from the bottom of his soul, God, I need you. I long for you. There's nothing on earth that's going to satisfy me or help me. God, I need you. Look at verse 2. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify. In other words, God, your love is better than life. Your love never fails. Life is going to fail. Time is going to fail. My body's going to fail. But God's love will never fail because it's eternal. 
And what he's saying is because it's so good, i got to talk about it. I've got to say something. I've got to open my mouth. I've got to tell you about it, God. It's that good. Remember, David's in a bad place. He's not saying this because he's in a good place. He's saying this because despite how bad of a place he's at, God's still good. And he's thanking him for it. Verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live. Look at this line. And in your name... I will lift up my hands. I, I, I'll go ahead and tell you the end of the sermon. Today I'm going to ask you to lift your hands in worship. When we get to the end of this service, I'm going I'm to ask everybody to lift your hands in worship. Maybe you've never done it before. That's okay. Today may be the very first time you've ever raised a hand in worship to God, but I want to encourage you to do it Because it is simply an appropriate response to God sending His Son, Jesus, to earth. I remember when I first um, accepted Christ into my life, I, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know what to do. I just knew I was empty and I was um, lost. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, one late one Friday, early Saturday morning, I knelt in my living room floor. I was about 15 years old, and I just had come to the end of everything. And I said, God, I, if this is all that life has to give me, I don't, I don't want to live anymore. Like, I, there's, this is worthless. And I remember just crying out to God. And, and the crazy thing is, as I prayed that night and I knelt on my knees, I just started to lift my hands. Now, I wasn't raised in a church where you do that. I was raised in a church where you don't do that. <laughs> like it was very clear we don't do that. And I'd been out of church for years. And nobody had ever taught me to do that. Nobody had ever instructed me to do that. But you know what I've learned? When you have an experience with God's grace, it produces gratitude in your heart. And you just want to show it somehow. When you have a true encounter with God, you want to worship Him. And you don't have to be taught to do it. You don't have to be trained to do it. Stuff just starts coming out. Because something new's gone in. <laughs> and it's life-changing. Paul was giving Timothy instructions to help Christians worship in 1 Timothy 2.8. And here's what he said. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Now, sometimes when the Bible says men or man, it means mankind or humanity or people or men and women in this particular instance it means men it doesn't mean men and women it means men and I don't know why and I can't prove it but my experience tells me that oftentimes men are the last ones to do this and I don't know maybe it's because of pride maybe it feels awkward maybe it feels like a feminine thing to do I can only speculate um It could be that Paul wanted the men to set the standard of worship. Paul wanted the men to be a spiritual leader in their family. It could be that Paul wanted the children to see their father worshiping and not just their mother. Guys, if you want your kids to follow God, you got to follow God, right? Don't let your wife out-worship you. Don't let your kids ever look up at you and learn that worship is for women and sports and football are for men. 
That's when dad's going to get excited. Don't do that. That's a mistake. Because they will likely follow you in that life. Don't let your children set the tone. Why would God ask us to lift our hands to him? I remember when our, our boys were little, often every chance we got in the summer, we'd go stay in a hotel with a swimming pool or go somewhere swimming. And I can remember they would sit on the side of the pool, you know, little chunky nubbers. They'd sit there, and they'd say, catch me, you know, catch me. Oh, you know, and then, they, then they'd want to jump, you know. And, you, and you'd back up, and they'd go, no, 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 come close. That's too far. You know, I don't, I don't really want to jump all the way out there. Catch me, catch me. I, I, I can't even name for you the hundreds of times that those kids have jumped off the side. I told my arms fell off, you know. They would jump out, and, and you'd catch them, and jump out, and you'd catch them. You know why? I couldn't resist one of my own kids stretching their arms out toward me and saying, catch me. There's not a good-hearted father in the entire world who would reject a child's outstretched arms saying, get me. And, and, and I think sometimes uh, that's the way it is with God. When you stretch your arms out toward God, you touch his heart and worship. When our hands move toward God, I believe his heart moves toward us. So why do we lift our hands in worship? If you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to give you three quick reasons. Number one, lifting our hands is a way to draw near to God. You're not closer, you know. We use these metaphors like God's in heaven. Oh, I'm, I'm two feet closer now. You're not closer. It's not the distance. It's the distance. It's what happens in here. James 4.8 says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. And so what happens is, is it's a way that you say, God, I, I, I want to be closer to you. I want to draw near to you. I want, I want to put behind me the things of the world, and I want to put in front of me. I want to put closer to me. God, I want to be closer to you. And like a child standing on the side of a pool saying, I want to get in. God says, come on in. Number two, lifting our hands as an offering to God. We say this at Kingwood all the time. Uh, giving in the offering is an act of worship. We say it all the time because it is. Just like putting... Um, uh, resources, money into the offering is an offering. That's why we call it offering. So is lifting your hands. Lifting your hands and worshiping just like making a financial contribution, lifting your hands is an, is an offering to God. Psalm 141 says it this way, I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. Watch this. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. God, I come to you today. I bring you an offering. That's how God sees it when you do it. Now remember, David's at a very low point in his life in Psalm 141 too. He had a lot of highs and lows. And here he is at a low point again, and he says, God, I'm offering my hands, uh, raising my hands as an offering to you. For some of you today, it might be the very first time that you've ever lifted your hands as an offering to God. And it might feel a little bit awkward at first. And, and it might put you a little outside of your comfort zone, but I want to encourage you, go ahead, lift your hands up and tell God, I'm offering my heart to you. This is my offering. And you may not even feel like worshiping God today. You may have had a bad Thanksgiving. 
You may hope the last thing anybody in this room asks you is, how was your Thanksgiving? You go, I just don't want to talk about it. But lift your hands up anyway. Because it's an offering to the heart of God, and it will touch his heart. Number three, lifting our hands is a cry for God's help. Now, you might be in a, in, a, in a place where you're in a battle. You might be in a dark place. And if things don't change, you don't know what you're going to do, and you don't know if your marriage is going to make it, and you don't know what's going to happen next year and all of that. But today, when you raise your hands to worship, what you're declaring is that you're in a battle, and you need an all-powerful God to help you and to do battle for you. This is what happened in Exodus 17. The Israelites were going to battle, and Moses was their leader. And Moses said to the people around him, I'm going to go stand on this hill during the battle, and when my hands are lifted during the battle, you're going to be winning. And when my hands are down, you're going to be losing. Look at Exodus 17. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And as long, So as long as Moses held his hands up, right, they were winning. Hands up winning. Hands down losing. Halfway tie. I don't know. It doesn't address that. I don't know what happened really. When Moses' arms were lifted, he was acknowledging that he needed God's power and God's presence. And every time he lifted his hands up, they were winning. So here's the reality. Some of you right now may feel like you're in a place in your life where you're losing. That might be how it feels. It might be time for you to lift up your hands and to say to God, I trust you no matter what. The battle belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. I lift up my hands today, God declaring that the battle's yours and you're going to have the final victory. I raise my hands not because I know what's going to happen, but I raise my hands because I trust you. I lift my hands up to declare that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I raise my hands up to say no weapon formed against me will prosper. I raise my hands up today and say stronger, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Well, that's, that's an act of worship. Then Moses' hands got tired. Because <laughs> you can't hold your hands up forever. Verse 12. Moses' hands grew tired. They took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. So now he's sitting. Aaron and Hur held his hands up. One on one side, one on the other. So that his hands remained steady till sunset. You know, we all get weak. We all sometimes need somebody else to hold our hands up. Man, I need a lot of people to hold my hands up. And so many of you have come beside us in our suffering. And you've said something this simple. But you've said to me, hey, I just want you to know, we've been praying for you. Some of you said every day, really hard, every morning, We've been interceding for you. We don't know why you're going through what you're going through, but we're praying for you. And can I tell you, every time something like that happens, my hands go right back up a little bit. 
just come up underneath my elbows and push them up just a little bit higher. And you know what I found? Everybody needs somebody to lift their hands up sometimes. That's why being a part of a church matters, because you can't worship alone. Because when you're by yourself, there's nobody to lift your hands up. And when you're strong, you don't have anybody's hands to lift up because you're by yourself. It's the body of Christ. We corporately stand together, leaning on each other, lifting each other's arms up as we go. So some of you are in a battle today, and it's time to declare, God, I need you. And some of you, even while we stand and worship and lift our hands, you will be encouraged to lift an offering to God with your hands because you'll look across and see somebody else do it. And there'll be an atmosphere where we're reaching to God and saying, Lord, I want to worship you. Do you know throughout all of history, lifting your hands has basically meant two things. One is, it's victory. Right? Every time there's a victory, people, yay, they lift their hands. Right? It's a victory. Uh, We know what this sign means. I mean, Alabama fans don't, but... Every, everybody else does, right? Hands go up. Victory. You, you, so you dance around your living room last night screaming at the TV, victory! Right? Lifted hands mean victory. Lifted hands also mean something else. They mean surrender. Somebody puts a knife or a gun in your back, you go, whoa, I'm, I, I give up. I give up. Let me tell you something interesting. At the moment you surrender to God, you find victory in him, and you get both. You get both. But you don't get one without the other. Come on. You don't get one without the other. You're not going to get the victory without the surrender. <laughs> but when you find surrender in God, you find victory in God. So today, man, I want to ask everybody, everybody in this room, as we, as we gather for this last song, I want to ask everybody to sing. And I want to ask everybody to raise their hand. You may say, look, I, maybe you say, look, I don't, I'm, not even a, I'm not even a Christian. You know, I'm, I'm not even a, or, or you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a guest. I don't go to this church or I'm new or, or whatever. Uh, or maybe you say, well, if I'm not a Christian, I don't even believe what I'm going to sing. You, you, you sing stuff you don't believe all the time. What does that matter? Right? Look, I, look, I, I look, there, maybe you've heard this song. I would spend 10,000 hours and 10,000 more if that's what it takes to learn that sweetheart of yours. You heard that? Justin Timberlake? Anybody? You heard that song? You don't believe that. That's tw- I did the math. That's 20,000 hours. That's an hour a day for 52 years. You don't mean that. We work with couples who are having trouble in this church. You don't mean that. That's a lie. You sing stuff you don't believe all the time. You don't have to believe it to sing it. Sing it until you believe it. So you you raise your hands when teams win. I'm just asking you to do an experiment with me this morning. And maybe today you need to worship as a declaration of praise. As you, as you reach out to God and maybe you just need to reach out to Him and believe that when you do that, He's going to reach out to you. God, have you forgotten me? Do you still remember I'm here? God, I'm here. And I just raised my hands up to tell you today that I need you. 
And I don't understand what I'm going through, but I trust you. And I don't even trust you all the time, but I'm going to trust you right now. <laughs> That's all you got to do. God, I'm going to trust you right now. I'm just going to lift my hands up and trust you. Maybe some of you need to worship as a declaration of praise. Maybe some of you need to worship as an offering. God, I didn't come to get something from you today. I came to give something to you today. And Lord, I'm going to I'm going to give you worship. Because in the end of the day, there's nothing that will set your heart free like doing what God made you to do. And He made you to worship Him. And He made you to honor Him. And He made you to bring Him glory. And when you do it, you experience freedom. Maybe you're in a battle today. And when we stand and sing, you just need to say, God, I don't, I don't know. But I can't fight this by myself. God, I, I declare that the battle's yours. Look, it, it really doesn't matter. Maybe, you, maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're not close to God. Can I tell you what would just thrill God's heart? In a minute as we stand to sing, if you just, if you just said, God, I'm going to raise my hand, and as I do, I just want to give my heart to you. God, would you just forgive me? Would you just, God, would you just wash me and clean me? God, would you just bring me into a relationship with you? Can I tell you, he'd do it. He'd meet you in that second right there. He'd meet you like you met me when I was 15. He'd begin to change everything about your life. It'd be a whole different Christmas for you, I promise you. Never forget it. So here's what I want you to do. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand, and the worship team's going to come, and we're going to sing together. But as we do, when the moment's right for you, whatever that is, I want to ask you as we sing just to lift your hand. It, 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 might, it might be like this. It might be like this. It might be like this. It really doesn't matter doesn't matter. When the moment's right for you, I just want you to lift your hand. But as you lift your hand, or as you lift your hands, I want you to think about what it is you're trying to say to God when you lift your hand. Are you saying, God, I surrender this sin to you? Are you saying, God, forgive me? Are you saying, God, I bring you an offering today to bless you? Lord, I I need to be closer to you. And Lord, I lift my hands up to draw close to you today. Are you saying, God, I'm in a battle and I just need you? And I, I lift my hands up to say, God, I trust you today. Whatever it is that you need to say to God, I want to encourage you, don't just lift your hand. But when the moment's right for you, tell God something as you lift your hand. And you just leave it there as long as you want to. And I'm telling you, as we worship God together, this is the response that Jesus coming to earth brings out of us. So would you just stand with me this morning? As the worship team is coming. Lord, I thank you today for your grace and presence. 
God, as we enter into this moment of worship, Lord, I pray that you would come now and do in hearts what only you could do. God, I pray that you would that you would change us and draw us and minister your grace like only you can do. Come on, let's worship together.
your presence. We celebrate victory. God, we celebrate freedom. We celebrate Jesus in this place. Lord, we celebrate today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, in this series, Lord, make us not just worship event people, but Lord, worshipers. God, that we might worship you with our life, and we might worship you on Monday and Tuesday and every day. And as we come together on Sunday, Lord, may that life of worship just pour out over into a time of celebration with the family of God. Lord, go with us today and let these, let these words of yours linger in our heart and mind that we might worship the King. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I'm so glad. You